Welcome to the WP Tonic WordPress and SaaS podcast. Jonathan Denwood and his co-host Stephen Souder interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Take it away, guys. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic podcast. Today we have a great guest with us, Dr. Sherry Walling. Uh, she is a author. Um, written two books or a book soon to come out too. Uh, uh, Keeping Your Shit Together, uh, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, um, and Touching Two Worlds, um, which is a book about grief, um, which should be coming out here in July 2022. Um, but we're really excited to dive into the idea of entrepreneurship and mental health and some of what that means and what does that look like as um, an entrepreneur tries to lead a company um, I also have my co-host, uh, Jonathan Denwood from WP Tonic. Um, but Sherry, do you mind just quick introducing yourself a little bit? Um, maybe tell us some things you've been working on um, lately. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so I spend my days talking with entrepreneurs, CEOs about the hard parts of the business. So whether that's stress, whether that's sort of managing family life and business life, whether it's working with uh, relationship challenges within the business, um, kind of like to get down and gritty about what's hard and find innovative, creative ways to think differently and work differently. Um, and I sort of come to my world from the background of clinical psychology. I spent the first part of my career working with people with really high intensity jobs, like people who'd been deployed to war zones, people who were um, working in emergency rooms, things like that. And so the transition to working with entrepreneurs has actually been fairly streamlined because they're maybe not people, um, you know, experiencing life-threatening events in the context of our startups, but um, people are certainly experiencing a lot of stress. Thanks. Uh, Jonathan, you want to quick introduce yourself to uh, the new listeners and viewers? Yeah, sure. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We build membership and learning platforms for entrepreneurs and organizations looking to utilize the power of e-learning. Over to you, Stephen. Awesome. Uh, and just for the record, this is uh, episode 643. Um, and we're going to take a quick uh, break and hear from our sponsors, and then we will dive right into it. Hi there, folks. I just wanted to tell you about our major sponsor, and that's Castos. If you're looking to get into podcasting for yourself or for clients, you need a top quality podcasting platform. And that's what you get with Castos. It has a superb interface, really easy to use, and you're not penalized for success. They have a flat rate pricing structure. Don't matter how many podcasts you make, how many downloads you achieve, you're just prey at one fixed rate with Castos. Plus there's support and just the quality of the people are just amazing. Also, for the WP Tonic Tribe, Castos is just offering an amazing deal. If you go to the WP Tonic website, backlink newsletter, you can get your first six months at half price. That's right, half price. That's only an exclusive offer to you, the tribe. Also, you'll be able to sign up for the WP Tonic weekly newsletter, which keeps you informed about all the stories and what's happening in the WP Tonic tribe. Please show your support for the show and support Castos. It's a fantastic platform. 
All right, coming back. Uh, Sherry, uh, it's really like what you were just saying in that intro um, is really fascinating and interesting because I think it's so easy to put entrepreneurship up on this pedestal and say like, that's the ideal. And like, that's what a lot of people are trying to do and become and glorify that and glamorize it. And you forget to look at some of the harder aspects of it. Um, I know when I first started um, my own company, right, it was all exciting and fun and games. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's cash flow and payroll and priorities. And um, you're trying to work through all of these different points of stress that's impacting your personal life and your professional life. Um, but as you've talked to a bunch of different entrepreneurs, um, what what would you say is like some similarities or things that make somebody a successful entrepreneur? And I'm not just talking about like from like a monetary success standpoint, but from like like from a mindset or mental space. Like what is what does success look like? I think it's so easy to say like, oh, well, the bottom dollar is how you define success. When in reality, success means something far far greater than that. I mean, I think success looks like someone who is finding a lot of meaning in doing something that is like interesting and challenging. Mm -hmm. So I think most entrepreneurs really have very active brains. You know, these are minds that are alive and they're making something in the world. And I think people who are really successful, really content, find a balance of how to drive and push but then also enjoy the benefits of what they've built and the freedom and the connections that they have created for themselves. Do you, do you feel like a lot of that is trying to figure out how to carve out the time and space to enjoy those benefits? Um, or how, how, how do you start like going through the process of um, maybe separating the the stress of work from enjoying life. Like oftentimes the stress of that entrepreneurship impacts that enjoyment that you can have of the thing that you're actually trying to build. Like you'd be really excited about what you're building and all of a sudden you find out yourself in this space where that excitement just manifests itself in stress, you know? Yeah. I feel like the people that do this really well integrate their lives pretty well. So you know, I'm parenting a, a 15 year old and an 11 year old, and that's pretty stressful sometimes. I wouldn't say that like my family life is easy and my work life is hard, or that's where the stress comes from. I think there's stress in all aspects of our life. We can have stress from our from the health of our bodies. We can have stress from our relationships. Even being in a great romantic relationship has its stressful moments, and there's stress from the businesses that we're building. So I think that the balance of it isn't to say, I do my hard work here and then I go do my play over here. The best case scenario is that work feels like play sometimes, that, um, that we're getting both enjoyment and challenge from all aspects of our life that is causing us to sort of level up or to keep growing. Jonathan, over to you. Yeah, uh, I think that's interesting. Um, I've got this question about spectrum conditions because obviously I suffer from... I was going to say a word that I don't like using, Sherry. I have dyslexia. Uh, um, um, and I've noticed, and I, I was wondering if you've noticed this yourself, um, I've read a few studies and a few um, that there's a high proportion of people with 
spectrum disorders that are entrepreneurs that have dyslexia, uh, mild autism, uh, um, other spectrum conditions. But I think in the in the popular media, there's a misconception about spectrum conditions in general. And maybe you'd like to comment on that. And have you do you think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that have a kind of spectrum condition? Well, take. Answer the the latter question first. Um, there aren't a lot of comprehensive research studies looking at sort of mental health within entrepreneurs. Um, the one that I'm most familiar with was done by Dr. Michael Freeman, who um, has an appointment at UC San Francisco, and his study found that there was a higher prevalence of ADHD and bipolar disorder in entrepreneurs compared to the general population. So those are both, yeah, we can sort of understand both of those actually as some spectrum-related disorders. What I think is really interesting, um, and just a little side note, I don't love using the word disorder, especially in this context, because I think what I'm about to say is that some of this divergent thinking, these are brains that are wired differently. Um, They are... functioning on the tails of the normal curve. So if you remember your statistics class, that bell curve, when we're talking about um, a brain that's looking really different, it's functioning at at the tails, either um, sometimes in in an advantageous way and sometimes in a problematic way. But that divergent thinking, that ability to put pieces together, to see patterns, to um, look outside the box is is a superpower for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, of course, it also has its problems, which is why it ends up in books like the DSM with a disorder tag behind it. But when it comes to entrepreneurship, neurodiversity um, can be an incredible asset. I don't know if that lines up with your experience, Jonathan. But Well, kind of, and doesn't, because I don't want to downplay the difficulty that a lot of children have that have dyslexia facing the American and British system, education system, nor do I just want to classify those difficulties to apply to children that have dyslexia because you are kind of round peg being Mm -hmm. tried to be rammed into a square hole. Um, And that produces a host of problems. But do you also, just do a follow-through question, um, do you think it's also, because um, I've read some studies where it, it, it does seem to be a high proportion of dyslex, people that have dyslexia and other conditions that are entrepreneurs, but is it also a similar situation that ethnic groups can find themselves like, you know, some some Jewish populations or Asian populations have concentrated in certain industries or certain sectors because they've been discriminated against and they, they've only been they've only not been allowed to go into the professions. So they concentrate in entrepreneurship or business ownership. Could it be just that factor? I mean, I think there's a how people decide what vocation they choose and how people decide to become an entrepreneur is a pretty complicated process. And one of the predictors of whether you become an entrepreneur is you know someone who has 
had a successful business. So if you're growing up in a community where there are people that are around you, your aunts and uncles, maybe your parents who have been business owners, that pathway suddenly becomes much more available to you. And there's a known track record, there's practical help, which is why we do see entrepreneurship show up in certain communities or within certain families because, hey, there's a pathway for that. When I was growing up, I didn't I didn't know anybody who ran a business. You know, my parents were teachers and pastors and they were operating within these very traditional structures. And so um, it wasn't really until I met my husband, Rob, who is an entrepreneur, that that, that became like a conversation that we were having because there was no footprint for that. Coming back for a minute to this question about neurodiversity, um, I have worked with so many entrepreneurs who really struggled in school. They dropped out of high school. They took the GED. Maybe they didn't finish. A number didn't go to college. So those traditional pathways towards success that, you know, your, your third grade teacher talks about and your junior high teacher talks about, they, they weren't a good fit for that. They were that square peg in a round hole, which is why for many people who have differently wired brains, entrepreneurship becomes um, almost like a default choice because graduate school wasn't a good option. They didn't get the grades for that, but they're brilliant and they can do things with their mind. So they find these alternative outlets for their ability and entrepreneurship is, is available if you haven't followed those traditional structures. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, we're gonna go for our mid-show break here for a quick word from our sponsors. But um, afterwards, I'd love to hear, Sherry, how you kind of found your path into uh, this whole segment of kind of looking at entrepreneurship and the mental health of that. Uh, so we'll go for a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi there, folks. Are you looking to build modern shopping cart landing pages using the power of WooCommerce for yourself or for clients? And you want to do that quickly with little need to know about hand coding? Well, if the answer is yes, and it should be, I've got the perfect answer for you, and that's Launch Flows. Launch Flows is the most modern and easiest way of building modern landing shopping pages for your clients. It also works natively with Gutenberg and the leading page builders like Elementor or Divi. It's really flexible, really powerful. Plus, if you go to the WP Tonic website, Backlink newsletter, you'll get an amazing deal of the Launch Flows lifetime deal. I think you almost get a third off, which is just amazing. And it's just an exclusive offer to you, the tribe. Please show your support for Launch Flows, who's a sponsor of the WP Tonic podcast and for the show itself. It's much appreciated. Hi there, folks. Are you involved in the building of new websites or supporting WordPress websites as a freelancer or agency owner? If the answer is yes, we've got a great tool here, Avarine. As you know, you can waste a tremendous amount of time with email or phone tag with your clients around a new WordPress build out or supporting multiple websites. It can be a real pain in the posterior. But with Avarine, you get essential interface where clients can log in and with a easy visual interface, they can show you the changes they require. It's a real game changer and it will save a tremendous amount of time and frustration, not only for yourself, for your team, also, Avarim have given us a great offer. It basically only costs you $1 to try their program. 
It's really fantastic. If that sounds interesting, go to the WP Tonic website, WP Tonic Backlink newsletter, and you'll be able to try this great product, like I say, for just one dollar. What a fantastic offer! See you soon, folks. All right, coming back. Uh, so, Sherry, we were just talking about uh, people finding their path into entrepreneurship, um, but I would love to hear how you found your path into looking at uh, this whole area of entrepreneurship from a mental health kind of. Um, standpoint place. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, I've always really loved working with people who are really engaged in their work. So people who find their vocation to be really significant to them. And I wanted to help people be healthy at work. Um, But my leaning towards working with entrepreneurs, um, you know, largely began through my husband. My husband, Rob, is the founder of Drip and Microconf and um, Tiny Seed and a handful of other things. And so he's been around this sort of tech startup world for a long time. And so the people in my living room, really for all of my adulthood, were entrepreneurs were people who were starting businesses. So they became my friends and I sort of heard some of the struggles that they were having from a mental health perspective and really felt like, oh, there's nobody talking about this very much. I mean, it certainly wasn't the conversation that it is now. But very specifically, um, I came home I think it was January of 2017 I came home and found my, you know, my technology engineering oriented husband crying in his office. And, um, you know, that's not a normal occurrence in our family. (laughs) So I was like, what happened? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Yeah. I don't see Rob crying too much. Nope. Not a big crier. Nope. Um, and he told me that Aaron Schwartz had died. Um, and I said, that's terrible. Who, who is Aaron Schwartz? <laughs> you know, it wasn't, we didn't know Aaron, uh, but Aaron uh, was the founder of Reddit and a host of other things. And um, he died by suicide. And I think for Rob, he represented sort of the best of this kind of brilliant mind that has so much potential to create and to be a successful entrepreneur, but that that kind of mind sometimes gets really lost and succumbs to um, the pressure or whatever underlying mental health issues are are lurking there. So it was was that day that I said, okay, I'm going to start talking about this. And so I gave my first talk about entrepreneurship and mental health um, at a microconf, and it was super well-received and got lots of questions and um, then Rob and I started a podcast about it. I wrote a book about it, and that kind of launched the conversation. So I see my work as really wanting to help entrepreneurs be more attentive and mindful of their own mental health as as a prevention, so that they understand that you can be amazingly successful and have a business that you really care about, but also have some things lurking inside of you that are hard to work with. And you don't have to be alone in that situation. There are things we can do to prevent problems and there are resources and help that can be offered when problems come up. Where, where does an entrepreneur start? How, or like you're, you're talking about being mindful and aware. Like, like what, what are those things? Because like there's, there's normal everyday stress that we feel that's, you know, for whatever reason, and we can let go of that really easy. But like, how do you start like knowing or identifying if you... Um, if there's like a larger issue that needs to be resolved or something, but like how, like how do you train yourself to be more mindful in that? Yeah, I think it's really important for people to be attentive to their own cues. 
So often one of the first things that gets disrupted when we're we're sliding off of baseline and starting to not do well is we see disruption in our sleep, right? Mm -hmm. We're waking up at two in the morning, we're staring at the ceiling, we're worrying about things. So sleep is an early indicator that maybe something is is kind of awry inside. Um, Certainly changes in diet or nutrition, like you know, you find yourself like stuff in your face with chips because you're just kind of mindlessly uh, trying to nourish yourself. I do it every day, sure. <laughs> so, so maybe that's your baseline. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any any significant shifts in our body, our body's a really smart indicator that things might not be going well in our brain. Um, other things that we kind of look for that sort of tell us, ooh, might not be doing well are the way that we treat people. Like if you're genuinely like a pretty kind, relaxed human, but you find that you're snapping at people or you're feeling really frustrated, you're making fun of your customers, you're, you're, no, you're just, something feels off. That's another good indicator that, um, hey, I may need to make an adjustment. I may need some rest. I may need a sounding board. I may need some help. Um, those kinds of things I think are good early indicators. I also feel like all entrepreneurs should have like pretty good working knowledge of burnout, what burnout looks like, what, you know, what the sort of diagnosis is and how it might show up. Um, I think it's really helpful for entrepreneurs to have a pretty good working understanding of anxiety and mm-hmm. when is motivation and excitement helpful and when is anxiety getting to be too much for us. Yeah, and then, sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, I think that's great. I think, but I think it's it's a beast that stalks quietly, and you're not aware that you you've got to a stage that you're not functioning that well. I think that's one of the problems. Um, I've got a passion about WordPress entrepreneurship. And education. So when I found my niche, um, it's been a quite a joyful couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's only taken a long time to get there, though. Um, but I've got a passion about education and a fascination about IQ. Um, what's, your, what's your? I think uh, I think not only in America but also in Western Europe definitely in the UK, education seems to be slightly in crisis, but I don't know if you would, I just have the sense that it is a bit. And I agree. Also, and also there seems to be unhealthy class, trying to classify everybody through IQ exams or tests. But when I studied a lot of the history of IQ testing, it seems quite a lot of it is what I call, um, I've just lost the word. It's um, a bit suspect, a little bit iffy, a lot of the... the product um, of the military-industrial complex? Well, I wasn't going to put words in your mouth, but pseudoscience, it's based on a lot of IQ, um, the history of IQ is, I would classify, comes from the area of pseudoscience, but I'm not sure if I've been, what's your feelings? Um, I have lots of feelings. I do agree that education is really um, probably not serving many children well. Um, And I would argue that education is problematic because of the lack of differentiation. So we have kind of 
teaching to the mean. And so kids on the tails, again, whether kids are struggling with a certain subject or kids are excelling and ready to move faster, those those two groups of children are being served super well. And of course, the history of education is, you know, to to sort of raise the general population to a certain level of ability so that they can work in factories and vote and things mm-hmm. like that. But uh, the the lack of differentiation, I think, is really leaving a lot of kids listless and behind and bored and those kinds of things. So that's where I think that the question of IQ does become interesting, not because of IQ in and of itself, but a question of how do we effectively differentiate kids and meet their needs according to what's possible for them and what they're capable of achieving. And there's no great way to do, I mean, that's a complicated question. It's a problematic question. Oh, it came for me, Sherry. Most of the guests are exposed to my crazy mind. (laughs) (laughs) But, But IQ... Traditionally, at least um, my understanding of it is that it was really a a way of trying to assign uh, soldiers to different kinds of jobs. So it was designed to differentiate people in the military who could do certain kinds of work versus people who should peel potatoes Um, and to do that quickly and fast so that soldiers could be assigned effectively. Yeah, but I would just be assigned for peeing the potatoes. I would it. too, I'm but, sure. But... <laughs> I'll see uh, you in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just be in the kitchen. Not the baddest place to be, though. Uh, over to some of the best IQ times. Does. I've, I've, oh, go ahead. I was going to say some of the best times I've ever had was on kitchen crews. <laughs> we might be the happiest crew. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's less mental stress when you could just take it out on a potato. You know. Yeah. You know, can take out that. That internal stress. I think IQ testing as it exists now is one indicator of differentiation, is one indicator of what a brain can handle, but it's very narrow to certain kinds of intelligence. It doesn't capture kinesthetic intelligence. It doesn't mm-hmm. capture relational intelligence, emotional intelligence, all of these other things that we know are super important to success um, are not captured in an IQ test. So it, you know, it's, I think it's a useful measure among a bunch of other measures to help us understand how an individual is functioning. Yeah, I think before we move on to the next question, Stephen will put to you, I think a, a good example of that is Henry Ford, who who had severe dyslexia. He, um, um, and actually he was shamed, but he was taken to court and he was asked if he had ever read a book, and he had to admit that he had never read a book mm-hmm. in his life, and he couldn't actually read or write that well. Um, but, you know, he is one of the, the original industrialist inventors, even though there were aspects of his personality that were particularly unpleasant when it comes to his ideas around racism. Uh, um, but I think that's a really good example where, you know, obviously an individual that's got enormous drive and capacity doesn't really fit into the norm. Yeah. Over to you. Over to you, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, IQ is interesting. Uh, what, what you were saying, especially like from its roots, cause like it, the function that it was supposed to serve, right. Was to sort people really fast in a way that needed to happen fast and um, 
like there wasn't the time and resources, but all of a sudden it's somewhat of a metric that more historically, I guess, is used to like determine somebody's outcome where you don't need to sort, you know, 10,000 people in a day, you know, it's used in a school system or whatever, um, less now, thankfully, but, um, more historically, I guess, um, something that, um, I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit was, uh, social media and perceptions. This kind of goes along with like, uh, the IQ idea too, that, um, it's almost a requirement. It feels like as an entrepreneur to be on social media, there's so much marketing and conversations and stuff that happens on there. Um, and we've heard a lot of stuff about, you know, kids comparing themselves on social media, how it damages, um, one's perception of themselves. Um, but I, I think also like as an entrepreneur, um, somebody in business, there's been moments in time where I have felt like really bad about myself because of what I've seen or the optics of what I've seen, like somebody's business gets acquired, right. Or I decided to work for a company versus another company. And then they just, you know, get to the IPO stage. You're like, Oh man, if I would have made that, you know, decision and you know, the people that are, you know, are set for life now. Um, what, how, I guess, like, as you're thinking through, like, uh, watching for like that baseline that we were talking about a while ago and like, swings and like to make sure you're mentally okay there's still this requirement to engage in this world that makes it hard um how 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 do you siphon through that or figure out how you can engage in a, in a world that like still makes you feel things that you don't want to feel sometimes oh yeah it's a struggle i <laughs> as you mentioned i have i have this book coming out and uh the book got got purchased by a publisher. Uh, I self-published my first book, but this book is going a professional or a, a more traditional publication route. And I mean, the amount of scrutiny that the publisher placed on my social media, I was like, I have a PhD. Like, do you care about that? They're like, no, no. How many Instagram followers do you have? Yeah. Like, that was the metric of my value as an author. And I was like, this is so ass backwards. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> um, so anyway, I feel you in the social media woes. Um, I think, you know, the the sort of rule of thumb with how to have a, a healthy relationship with social media is sort of like, um, how you would have a relationship with Seventeen magazine when you're a, a, a kid growing up is is um, use it sparingly. You know, a couple minutes a day, pop on, check the news feed, make a few comments, leave some messages for people. Um, so have some limits around how much and how long and those kinds of things. I have found some fun and satisfaction as a content creator. So thinking about, you know, how do I make that sort of pithy, clever tweet? Like, so letting it be a creative outlet as much as possible rather than a, a high pressure outlet. Um, this is probably not great social media strategy, but I, th I think a lot more about what I'm putting out there. And then I check people that I really care about and I don't use it as a source for news or for sort of information from more general sources. I, so being very specific, I guess, with how you're using yeah. social media can be really helpful. Yeah, like controlling that cons or how you're consuming or where you're consuming it from instead of just being like a passive thing that you're always plugged into and tuned into. And although it feels like a passive thing that you're just checking, it's actually like a very active thing that's feeding all these different things. You are your, having an brain. emotional relationship yeah. with it. You are. Yeah. 
Oh man. Well, thanks so much for the discussion. Uh, this, uh, we're out of time for the podcast, but we're going to keep doing 15 minutes of bonus content, um, which everybody can tune into on the WP Tonic Facebook page or the YouTube channel. Um, Sherry, uh, before we move into the bonus content, how, pe- how can people find out about you and what you're up to? Yeah, my company is called Zen Founder, Z-E-N Founder. So I also have a podcast by that name um, and that's at zenfounder.com. And then I have a book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, How to Run Your Business Without Letting It Run You, which I think is a handy-dandy resource. And it's on Amazon and in the and all the book places, but mostly Amazon. <laughs> and Jonathan, how can people find out more about you? Oh, that's easy. But I just wanted to say that I was very moved by your episode about your brother, Sherry. Mm-hmm. I think it's episode 220. And your eulogy for your beloved brother. Yeah. I, I thought you, I was very moved by it. Thank you. So, over to you, Stephen. Uh, did you just want to let people know how they can find out more about you, Jonathan, at all? I'm not or... sure if they should, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're on the WP Tonic Facebook page, uh, you can always see what's going on, the latest and greatest, what's going on, WP Tonic. Uh, All right. So that's it, folks. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. um, And uh, check us out on the Facebook page to join in for the bonus. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week. 